0: the Financial Sense Lifetime Planning Program. Now, here's the Financial Sense News Team. On today's podcast, I, Aaron Wiegman, the Senior Wealth Advisor for Financial Sense Wealth Management, and Crystal Colbert, also a Wealth Advisor here at Financial Sense Wealth Management, are here to talk to you a little bit about behavioral finance.
1: Just in terms of what behavioral finance is, just so everyone knows, Behavioral finance helps us understand how financial decisions are made around investments, risk, personal debt, savings, financial planning strategies, and how it's influenced by human emotion, biases, and cognitive limitations of the mind, and processing and responding to the information.
0: Okay, so that's a great definition. Now, what does that mean?
1: All right. Well, if everyone found the definition um, helpful, definitely send an email in so I can, you know, shove it in there in space. Just kidding. <laughs> but no, some of the most common decision making biases that we encounter, um, one of the biggest ones is confirmation bias. So it's exactly how it sounds. You look for information that confirms your own belief. And I think a lot of us struggle with this when it comes to investing or just as a bias in its own.
0: So I mean, so if if I'm a bull, I'm only going to be looking for information that's going to confirm that I should be a bull right now, as opposed to maybe looking for the other side. So if I really like tech stocks, I'm finding all the information, all the news stories, the articles that that are going to tell me that I should be investing in tech stocks right
1: now. Exactly, and we aren't always right. So one thing that people should be doing is always looking for the opposing side of the argument just so that way you can make a rational decision based off of what you see happening and what you should be doing.
0: So you mean there might be some blind spots?
1: There might be, there might be. What's another good one, Aaron?
0: Any sort of loss that I take is going to hurt two times more than any uh, gain that I have, loss aversion. Yes. So as people are encountering losses. It is so much more painful and we love the gains, but the gains don't count as much as the losses do.
1: Right. Exactly. Like I think one area that you were like looking forward is maybe just holding on to a position that is consistently losing because you think that eventually it's going to bounce back, but really maybe we should have sold it a little while ago, but you don't want to lock in that loss.
0: Sometimes you just have to cut bait.
1: Yeah. Just take the loss. Sometimes it's nice to have that loss for your taxes going forward. You know, at least. Essentially speaking,
0: it might be just a a wise thing to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of the time we'll see clients because they're so loss averse, they just sit on cash and not put it into the market. So I think it is true. I mean, I know I hate losing money, but also I do not alone with that. Another good one is herding bias. So herding bias is like, again, how it sounds, it's following the crowd. So doing what other people are doing at the time. It's a natural instinct that we as humans have. We want to, you know, do what other people are doing and follow the crowd, keep up with the Joneses. But a lot of the times that isn't good for us, right?
0: So I was at that Future Proof conference and they showed some clips of this movie um, called This Is Not Financial Advice. And I'm not sure when it's exactly coming out, but it's a documentary about this guy who with the herd of people on Reddit and Wall Street bets and all that, he put all of his money into Dogecoin. And that same investment, I mean, that did very well for him. But I mean, he was following the crowd. He was leading the crowd. So he followed that. I think he went from something like $75,000 $75,000 all the way up to over $3 million. And now it's come back substantially. So, I mean, when you talk about following the crowd in the last couple of years, you know, on one end, it's following the crowd into the market or whatever sort of risky investment or meme stock or crypto. The thing that you have to kind of think of is, you know, the the wise Warren Buffett says when uh, people are greedy, you should be fearful. And when people are fearful, you should be greedy. So it's kind of counterintuitive, but it's it's the wise bet to be making.
1: Another one I think that a lot of us struggle with is the familiarity bias, where we invest in what we know, or we follow what we know, just because, you know, we might be good at it. So maybe your company has restricted stock, or they have, um, you can invest within your company, and you overbuy or you're over allocated to that one company, just because you know, it well, it it's, it's something that can actually hurt your overall portfolio, just in general. So sometimes, you know, just investing in what you know, isn't the best thing for you, or maybe investing in all US companies, because you know, the US and you know, it does well, well, there's a lot of opportunities when it comes to foreign investing. So it's something that you shouldn't just always lock into what you know. You should look into other opportunities as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you you look at clients or people that you know that are in the tech industry. So they only wind up investing in tech. You know, they're in the energy industry, so they only invest in energy. Um, they're in real estate, so they only buy, you know, more uh, investment properties. So it's, it's a lot of you know, what you know. Um, And I guess just regionally speaking, you invest in what you know, too. So if you were investing, if you were an investor on the East Coast, you know, the Northeast, what do you think you'd be investing in there?
1: I mean, if you're thinking East Coast, that's New York. You're thinking uh, Wall Street, Wall Street stocks. Sure. Finance.
0: Financial stocks are probably more prevalent, you know, with people investing over there. Um, In the Midwest, maybe that's more industrial stocks. Uh, here in the West Coast, it's probably more tech stocks. And in the South, it's probably more uh, energy, things of that sort. So, you know, you can be biased just based on the region and what it is that you know right there. It's just kind of understanding that bias and just saying, maybe I might be a little bit over allocated to some of that stuff. What do you think about this other one? It's a recency bias.
1: I think that's the one a lot of us struggle with the most. So it's when individuals make decisions based off of what's happening recently in the here and
0: now. The thing that where that comes into play too, is I was just thinking about trying to pick certain investments and, you know, maybe you're looking at your 401k investments and you're looking back on here's the average, you know, one, three, and five year returns on things and you're basing how you wind up allocating your 401k based on just what those returns look like. Maybe not the best idea. And, you know, looking, Speaking with someone about what the overall allocation to that portfolio should look like uh, for the long run, as opposed to just kind of trying to chase
1: those returns. Exactly. And I think the last and biggest bias that we do see is the framing bias. So, basing your experience on certain timeframes. Uh, So, making a decision on the way things are presented rather than the actual facts. So a lot of people who were invested between 2000 and 2009.
0: Yeah, so that that 2000s decade was really bleak.
1: Yes, exactly. Very flat returns, people, you know, there there wasn't much going on. I mean, based off of what we saw, the average annual return within the S&P was less than 1%, vice versa, when you look at the bond markets. During that time frame, the average annual return was 6.3%.
0: That's when I first got into the investment world. So that was my time frame that I was used to. just, I guess, my experience coming into the investment markets, right? So it was one bear market, a couple of okay years, and then another bear market. So my investment thesis might be a little bit more uh, risk averse than maybe someone coming into the market in the 2000s. So, I mean, if you're look, if you're a brand new investor in the two, or excuse me, the, the 2010s, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: what was the average return in 2010s?
1: Right. So, between 2010 and 2019, the average annual return on the S and P 500 was 13.4 percent, and then vice versa on the bond market. The bond return was an average return of 4.1 percent. So a lot of us coming into investing in that time frame, which was definitely me, we've experienced a bull market this whole time. So I feel like we have a greater, or we don't really truly know what losses look like until the last couple of years that we've had some recent uh, recession slash uh, bear market.
0: Let's look at some of those. How how we wind up framing <laughs> um, the opportunity that we have at hand, and just get you know when it comes to conversations that we have around investments and financial planning today? How do we overcome some of these biases that we have?
1: Yeah. So a lot of the times we have to really take the emotion out for the clients because when it comes to your own money, you're far more emotional because You made that, you earned that, you don't necessarily want to lose it, but you also want it to grow. So you have to take the risk with the reward, right? So, um, one of the biggest challenges that we have as an advisor is helping the client take the motion out when it comes to their risk tolerance. So, a lot of the things that we'll see is risk tolerance changes. What we want to keep with the client is just making sure that they know what their risk tolerance is, and we can fully understand what threshold they have for taking on that risk and kind of keep them not moving in and out. So a lot of the times what we'll see with clients is if we're in a strong bull market, generally speaking, clients want to get more and more aggressive. They want to raise their risk tolerance. They want more equity exposure when That's not necessarily the best thing because a lot of the times they're usually doing this after we've been in a bull market for a while or the market's been doing very well for the year and they want, they're like, all right, let's increase the equity exposure. And maybe that's at the height of the market, right? So wrong time to do so. And then, you know, we've increased their equity exposure because they're very adamant about it. And then all of a sudden things reverse. We go into a bear market and they... Lose a bunch more money where lose more,
0: had... you know, it kind of goes back to that uh, that loss aversion then. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. You
0: know, the, the pain of that loss is going to hurt even more because they want to be more aggressive.
1: Right, and if we had just held steady, we could have not possibly locked in a lot of those, you know, or raised the equity exposure and then had more available for a loss. So it's just kind of keeping them at bay and not constantly going in and out of their threshold for risk, because then we'll see people, once we've hit a bear market, they want to go to all cash. And it's the worst thing you can do, lock in all your losses and take on that, so.
0: Especially if you do have a longer term time horizon, right? So I think a part of that conversation really has to come around, you know, when do we need the money and what the purpose, purpose is for it, right? So we can't necessarily take the same type of risk with money that we're gonna be needing in the next six months, as opposed to the money that we need in six years or fifteen years, right? So we can take a little bit more risk with that longer term money as opposed to the short term money.
1: Exactly. So I think one of the biggest things that we need to focus on is how do we break these behaviors? How do we break our own biases? Because obviously it's not an easy thing to do. And I think one of the biggest, most important ways to kind of break it is just getting to know yourself and being aware of what biases you have.
0: So Ray Dalio has this uh, quote. He was, he was talking about just making decisions and um, the, the, he's, he talks about the two biggest barriers to good decision-making are your ego and your blind spots and just being able to be aware of what those blind spots are and uh, just getting the point and counterpoint to every single decision that it is that you're making. So, if you love energy stocks, tech gold, funds, gold you know, whatever, whatever that is, what is the counterpoint that could blow up your thesis?
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: And just be aware of what else is going to be, uh, you know, I guess just be aware of whatever that decision-making process is, right? So you're comfortable with, with how you're, you're placing funds these days, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I, I would say the, the other big thing is right now just avoid the panic selling you know, staying, staying invested, you know, understanding what your long-term time horizon really looks like, what the purpose of that money is. um, Because once you wind up selling out, it's tough to get back in, you know, when's the right time to go ahead and get back into the market.
1: Right. And that's why it's important to consult with your financial representative regularly, because a lot of the times, you know, when clients call in wondering what's going on with their portfolio and the market, a lot of the times they do think that it's worse because they have this emotional tie to their money. So, you know, hearing from your advisor and talking to them and what they see as their outlook.
0: And, you know, as you're reviewing your portfolio, uh, Fidelity has some other information that's kind of interesting too, that as the people who review their portfolios too regularly Mm -hmm. tend to have an underweight uh, position in equities. So clients that... Look at their portfolio more than a month, one time a month. They have 41% in equities versus people who look at their portfolios on a yearly basis. They have 70% in equities, which, if you're a long-term investor, that may be the better place for you to be because you know ultimately you're going to have uh, you know better returns in the long run if you wind up having that larger equity position.
1: Right. And that's why you have us as advisors to help you get through that. I mean, we're the ones that are supposed to take on the stress. We're the ones that are supposed to look at this and help walk you through it. Don't necessarily take it on yourself unless, you know, it's a hobby for you and you like doing it. And maybe you want an advisor as a second viewpoint to kind of bounce your ideas off of That's It's just something to have in your back pocket. Just consulting with someone else and particularly an advisor, just to make sure that You know, your bias isn't working against you.
0: So, Crystal, if someone does want to get a hold of you, how do they wind up doing that?
1: Yes. So, you can call me directly at the office. The number here is 858 487 3939. And you can either ask for Crystal Colbert or you can dial my extension, which is 117. What about you, Aaron? If they want to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you?
0: It's that same number, the 858-487-3939. Just as well, you can email us. That would be crystal.colbert at financialsense.com. And I'm Aaron.weekman at financialsense.com. So it's been a pleasure speaking with you all today. Um, If you have any questions, please let us know. Take care.
1: Talk to you soon.
0: financial losses that result from investing in any companies mentioned in financial sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour please be advised that you invest at your own risk